guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. Death and taxes. They say they're the only certain things in life, but certain or not, taxes are definitely stressful, which is probably why one-third of Americans procrastinate when tax time rolls around. And that can be an expensive mistake. For example, right now, December, is the time to focus on year-end tax moves and take advantage of strategies that could save you thousands and will disappear on December 31st. Let's make sure that doesn't happen to you. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Let's talk taxes. Let's do it. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, uh, New York Times said that uh, Donald Trump didn't pay 10 out of 15 years of taxes. So uh, this is the episode for you to... This is a very thing, interesting take to begin our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this week do we, we have, also do we have to? Do yeah, we really. Have to talk about that man. Th- this week we also have a special guest. If I can get through the intro, we can we can start talking. We have a special guest with us today. This tax attorney Kelly Phillips Herb, the founder of Tax Girl and editor at Bloomberg Tax. We are honored to have you today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. And now, before we start, remember, we are not giving you financial advice because we don't know you. So make sure you do your own research, consult your own experts before acting on anything that you learn in this podcast. Okay, let's dive in. Before we do, though, Kelly, you were telling me a little bit how you came to be where you are today. But give us a real quick background on why you are who you are. Well, I am a tax attorney. And um, when I first started practicing, I realized that my clients needed a little more info than was out in the world. Um, And a lot of, at the time when I was first practicing, a lot of what was out there was really academic or very technical. Um, There wasn't plain language explanations of uh, what you needed to know, kind of what we're going to talk about today. And so I started writing a blog uh, to help my, at the time, my clients understand um, deadlines and what mattered in deductions and credits and things they would hear on the news. Um, and it took off, and um, I was uh, recognized by the American Bar Association Journal as having one of the top blogs written by attorneys for attorneys, and um, kind of been writing ever since. Nice. So you're going to be able to explain everything to us in language we can understand. Hopefully, yeah. Okay. Now, let, let's start. Let's get in there now. Now, let me ask you. Let's start this way. Mm-hmm. It's December. It's actually December 1st when we're recording this podcast, 2022. Why do I care about taxes now? Why don't I wait until April? Um, because you get what you alluded to earlier, actually, that there are things that you can do now that will actually reduce your tax liability come April. Um, you know, taxes, most taxpayers on a calendar year, which means that uh, everything that happens between January 1 and December 31, that snapshot is what you take care of in April. Um, so anything that you can do to mitigate the, that that potential liability that you'll see in April um, has to happen before the year end. And little things can make a huge difference, too. Huh? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm starting to look at stuff right now. I'm a CPA, Kelly, but you, I couldn't fill a thimble with what I know about taxes. <laughs> I just, I've never worked as a tax accountant. I, I highly recommend uh, to my to my folks that they always have a good. CPA or EA on board as well as the tax attorney. I think it kind of, you know, it takes a village, a good team. You know, when do you use a tax? Now, see, I would have thought that I'm only using a tax attorney when I'm being, you know, going to court with the IRS. Oh my I mean, gosh. Because it seems like overkill <laughs> to do my taxes. 
What's Hope that? that never happens. No, um, tax attorneys, I think, are useful for a lot of different uh, reasons. Sometimes this tax planning. So let's say you were losing your, uh, not losing, but leaving your job. And they said to you, I will give you stock options or a payout. Um, that could have real consequences. And that would be when you would want somebody who has a little bit of um, experience dealing with those issues to look at it and say, okay, here's what happens if you take this versus that. Um, I also work with folks who might, um, since you mentioned lawsuits, I don't take people to court, um, but I do sometimes work with people who have settlements or um, sometimes they're employment related. Sometimes they're accident related um, before they take a big check. You know, what do they need to know? Um, I also help with controversy matters. So when you get a letter from IRS, um, I help you deal with that. Uh, innocent spouse issues. Um, and then a lot of compliance things. Um, I know CPAs, uh, EAs work with these as well. But uh, specifically this year, um, I expect to see a lot of crypto compliance issues. Um, in the past few years, I have dealt with a lot of offshore um, account uh, issues, which is funny because I think people think of offshore accounts as just being a billionaire problem. Um, and it is actually a lot of regular American taxpayer problems, especially expats, people who might study and work abroad, people who might have relatives that they help out abroad. So you have an aunt in Greece that you have power of attorney for, all of a sudden you might have a tax reporting uh, issue that you didn't know about before. So I think uh, having, when I mentioned the tax team, I don't think you have to call your tax attorney every week and tell them what you've done. But I just think checking in once in a while and just saying, am I doing all the right things is really smart. Um, and that kind of goes to what we're talking about today, just planning generally, because you don't want to wait until there's a problem to realize that you need somebody to call. Right. So it's always good to have kind of those people lined up ahead of time. That makes sense. In fact, you know, I just thought of this. I just remembered this actually. I, I talked to, I, I take my uh, taxes to a CPA, even though I'm a CPA myself. Because uh, he's, he's on it every day. You know, he knows stuff. I don't know. But anyway, the point was, I just talked to him two weeks ago. I, I do that, you know, the, near the end of every year. Here's how much mm -hmm. money I made this year. Here's what, you know, what my business is going to look like. Um, what is there anything I have forgotten? Just at, if for no other reason, just to know that I'm on the right path. Sure. Yeah, and so I, I, think I, I have a small business. I meet with my CPA every quarter. Um, my husband and I sit down and we say, here's what it looks like. Is there anything we should know? Even though, I should know those things ahead of time. Um, I think small business owners in particular fall into the trap sometimes of being so busy that they don't think about yes. what they need to know. So it's always nice to have someone kind of looking over your shoulder, nagging you a little bit. Um, so I am a big proponent, again, of having a team in place to help you out yep. with this. That makes sense. However, I hasten to add, I did television news for 30 years. And when I every year, I would say to people, I do a story about going to an accountant. You know, even if it's H&R Block, you know, I mean, no matter what you're doing, if you're not getting advice from that accountant, from that CPA, from that tax lawyer, you might as well just be using software because that's all they're doing. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're not getting it real advice in real time from a real person, then you're paying somebody $200 an hour to type for you because that's all they're doing. They're putting your information into a, a program and they're spitting out a tax return. You can do that yourself you know, by getting TurboTax or one of those things. So right. if you're going, have questions, talk to them. Is there anything I could be doing different? If you're not going to do that, use software. I mean, do you agree? 
Yes. Well, I was going to say that my one quick caveat, though, is when you use the same person, sometimes they don't you. It's not always obvious what their advice is, because sometimes they're doing things behind the scenes, because if you've worked with that's why I like working with the same person, because they know me. They know, you know, my my CPA, Kevin, knows that I have two kids in college and one that is not. He knows, um, you know, what our healthcare picture looks like. He knows what our employment picture looks like. He knows how many employees we have at the business. So if something like an ERC issue came up, right, like so that during the pandemic, there were certain credits that were available to businesses. Um, we didn't have long conversations with him about that because I kind of sent him an email one day that was like, do we qualify? Like, what's the scoop? And he was on it. Um, so he didn't give me advice, but that's because he knew what mattered for us and what didn't. So that's one of the reasons I, I agree with you that your your person, whoever that is and whatever that looks like, should be offering you um, value beyond, you know, data entry. Um, but don't, I think sometimes people like the idea that they're going to get this, uh, like soliloquy, right. On like what they did right and what they didn't for the year. And, um, I think it's important to understand that sometimes that advice is just a really well done return because they know you. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, Kelly, that I feel better now knowing that I'm a CPA who goes to a CPA and you're a tax lawyer who goes to a CPA. So I don't feel quite as much of a schmuck as I did before this started. Awesome. <laughs> See, that's, that's the value I brought for the day. <laughs> okay. Now let's get to the meat of why we're even together today. Uh, we're talking about things we can do at the end of the year. They're going to save us taxes next, next April. Um, anyone's free to join. But Kelly, tell me what if one single thing, most important thing you can do at the end of the year to make sure you're going to pay as little as possible next April, what would it be? Or is there one single thing? Um, I don't think there's one single thing. I think it depends on who you are. Um, and I think that there is a distinction that can be made between lowering your tax bill and um, and not getting taking a hit on, uh, on tax day. And the reason I say that is because um, small businesses in particular or independent contractors who might be um, required to make estimated payments during the year, um, making sure that those ducks are in a row can actually, you know, technically save you money in terms of interest and penalty, you know, at, at the end of the year, even though it's not a proactive strategy to lower your tax bill, right? So it's not, um, it, you know, doing the things that you're supposed to do doesn't always result in a lower tax bill, but it might be less painful come yes. Day. You so mean for, I would say, forgetting to do the things that you're supposed to do can be right. a can be a rude awakening, Stacy yeah. says, as he knows because he's forgotten <laughs> to file stuff before. <laughs> oh, I, so I freelanced for years, Miranda, and I've talked about this on numerous occasions. I, I've freelanced for years, and I, again, I'm an attorney, and there are times when I got hit by a huge tax bill. Because it just, again, being busy as a tax professional or any professional, and I'm also a working mom, um, I don't always do the things that I was supposed to do um, at the time I'm supposed to do them. I mean, obviously, with time, you get better at that. But when you first start out in particular, you know, you know it's coming, but you always think you'll be okay. And, and most of my clients who get into trouble, same thing. They just you know, this month wasn't a good month for writing that estimated check. And then they just decided yeah. to put it off to the next quarter. And then they're behind already. I just um, filed my 941 for the third quarter yesterday. Oops. <laughs> and this, but, this uh, is yeah, a penalty but, for that. But, but the great, but the great part is, and this is something that it, it took me a while to understand. And I, I try to tell my clients is, um, um, so when I was younger, I, I got into, uh, a, during college, I'm a first generation college student, so paid my own way and, and all of that good stuff and um, took a lot of loans out. Um, and I had one time when I had to go to the bank to make a credit card payment. 
Um, and uh, I did not have the minimum payment due. And the woman at the counter did not take my money. She said, you don't bother to pay anything if you can't pay the minimum, and which is terrible, terrible advice. Um, but I was young and, and in college, and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> and realized that that's a terrible, that's terrible advice. And one of the things that I try to counsel my clients as I have gotten older is that something is always better than nothing. So filing your tax return late is better than not filing at all. Yes. Paying a little bit towards what you owe is better than not doing it at all. If your estimated payment is $2,000 and you only have $500 in, you know, set aside, pay the $500 and figure out the rest later rather than ignore the whole piece, right? So I think that December is a really good time to sit back and kind of look at what you've done and all of the things that you should have done rather than beat yourself up about it or put it off again, try to start taking care of it. Look at it and say, you know what? I think I'm going to owe. Um, I know I'm going to get a bonus or I think I'm going to get some money for my mom this year or whatever and start chipping away at it so yeah. that, you know, tax day isn't quite so painful. I think that's one of the things I see with people who get overwhelmed with tax problems is that, something gets bigger and bigger and bigger until they don't know how to fix it. They don't call a tax attorney. They don't call a CPA because they're scared. Um, they don't open their mail from IRS because they're scared. Um, so, you know, just chip away. And I think December is a really good time to yeah, do that. that makes a lot of sense. So just reviewing your year is, is your best advice for what to do at year end. And that makes total sense to me. Miranda, we haven't heard from you, which is really <laughs> weird because you talk a lot. So give me, a, give me a tip on what I could do at year end. I'm sure you've got a list there. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you you all covered it pretty well, but I think one of the things to remember too at your end, so one of the things that my accountant does because he knows me is he immediately, my, my tax accountant, he immediately files for an extension. But <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not doing uh, that in that December. Way, no, no, but he, but he's ready for it. He's ready for it. Um, but I do try, but I have been trying to keep up. One of the things that I do uh, with my business is I do have QuickBooks. I, and my accountant has access to the QuickBooks and all of my like business credit cards, business bank accounts, all of that goes through the QuickBooks, all of, all of that's there so that he can see it. And I just have to make sure I'm categorizing it. I go back in and I balance things and categorize each month and then he can see it and it makes it a lot easier. It streamlines the process um, for making sure he has everything he needs, uh, so that I'm not, cause it, we used to have a, it used to be a fun, it used to be a fun exercise in me scrambling to get all my stuff together. Because the other thing to remember is if you have a business where you need to file a K1 form, you actually need to file that a month before, uh, you would file your normal taxes. So that's due in March. And so, uh, you need to make sure you have that in mind as well. And so we would play a fun game of get all of Miranda's shit together, uh, in time to file the K one. And so, um, if you do you have, mean your, you mean your, your tax return for your company, your LLC. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, so I, by the way, have forgotten to do that every single year, even though I'm a CPA <laughs> and it's the same time every year that you have to file it March 15th. It's right? amazing. It just and shows I, up every year. How, how can it be that this has happened again? And uh, so, yeah, so, so having that, those processes in place to streamline it, especially if you have a business is really important. And I just, I keep, I have a little folder where I keep tax type receipts that come to me paper um, over here on my desk. A lot of people like to scan their receipts now. If I get them by, from the email, I have a folder in my email called tax receipts that I just label them uh, that way. And then at the end of the year, I just clean them all out, move, you know, make a new label that's called, you know, business 2022, uh, send, send copies of them, four copies of them to the accountant and then move them into business 22 so that the 
tax receipt business label is clean again for next year. Cool. So setting up these systems can help you move things along and make it a little bit easier and have you kind of tracking as you go throughout the year and, and at least staying somewhat organized. And it makes it a little bit easier whether you're filing your taxes or an accountant is filing your yes. taxes. Now, we're going to take a quick, a quick break, but when we come back from this break, we are going to talk about specific things because I went to the trouble of making specific a list of specific things we can do at the end of the year. And we haven't really talked about anything direct and specific, but we are going to do that as soon as we get back from this message. We will be right back. Okay, we are back. And uh, I, as I promised, I'm going to give you some specifics. And, and I saw Kelly nodding her head. She's got specific things too, I can tell. And I bet you that Miranda does too. I don't know about you, Aaron. Are you a tax guy? I, you've got your microphone muted right now. He's He's not... He's not going to talk to us, but he's not a tax guy. I can tell you because I know him. <laughs> no, I am not a tax guy. I wish my wife was on here because she's she does all the taxes. Yes. Um, I will would like to uh, also offer um, what Kelly said before about paying on time. That is important because the IRS actually increased penalties by one percent across the board for individuals and, and corporations. So it's it's one percent higher this time. Interesting. Um, so, that's so you did do a little research for this podcast today, Aaron. I'm very proud. A of you. little bit. Okay. Oh, so yeah. now specific. Let's remember one thing, too. Um, uh, standard deductions, which almost everybody's going to use now. Not almost everybody, but is it 80% or so, Kelly, that can use a standard deduction I now? Actually, I think it was actually higher uh, um, it- last time. Yeah, no, they had anticipated, because before they made the switch, it was two out of three, right? It was, yeah. it was they anticipated, I think, that it was going to go up to over 90%. Okay, so the, the standard deduction is $25,900 for married filing joint. Um, and if you're over 65, like me, you get $2,700 more than that. Um, if you're single, 12950 And that's where I would usually leave it, except for I know Miranda is going to say, that is right. I am head, head of, of household. household. <laughs> and that's $19,400 for <laughs> you, right. Miranda. Okay, so what I, and what that means, of course, is that if you've got, you, you automatically get that much in deductions. Unless you have more than that, there's no reason for you to itemize your deductions. So also, go ahead, Aaron. Also, I was going to say, um, this year, about 20 states are offering one-time tax rebates and tax credits. So when you file, there's there's a whole lot going out there. Uh, California, Oregon, Idaho, Colorado, New Mexico, Florida, Georgia, New York, PA, Illinois. There's, there's 20 of these states, and they're all offering all kinds of little uh, rebates mm-hmm. and incentives because of inflation. Well, no, I'm lost there, and I, I, I did not know this. Now, we live in Florida yeah, it, where there is no state income tax. What, how, there how is no they... state income tax, but, but DeSantis is offering uh, like 450 bucks per child, Um in, in the, they have uh, to be your rebate. children or just any children you can find? Anyone. Just find a bunch of them <laughs> and group them together. Go, go drive by elementary school. Yeah. You're 450. You're 450. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's very very individualized for each state what they're offering. So, you have to look that up and find out what they're That's doing. That's interesting. I'm glad you told me that. I did not know. But anyway, so one of the things you can do since, okay, if you're married filing joint, you, you basically $26,000, we'll call it, is your standard deduction. So if you can exceed that, then you can get an extra write-off. So what you might be able to do is bunch deductions. So, for example, I was actually considering this myself, charitable deductions. Now, a charitable deduction is an itemized deduction. No longer can you do it on the front of your return. It has to be an itemized deduction on Schedule A. So in order for you to beat 25000 so you, you may have some other itemized deductions, of course, but you could give all of your charity in one year and then skip the next few years. So in other words, give $10,000 one year and, and, and to get over that $26,000 uh, threshold and then, you know, not give the next couple of years or what, you know, whatever it may be. Make sense, Kelly? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I've been a big proponent of doing that since uh, the, the the new law went into effect. Um, I think especially because when you, um, you know, a lot of folks do make smaller donations in, in every year, uh, maybe to their alma mater, their church, or wherever. Um, and it's a good way to, if you're gonna, if you're gonna give that money anyway, um, why not put yourself in a position to take advantage of the deduction if the math works out, as you mentioned? Um, so it, it, one of the things that, again, I, this is where having a team comes in handy, having somebody who knows you comes in handy. Um, if you're having surgery, let's say, and it's going to boost up your medical deductions, maybe that's the year you bundle your charitable deductions. Because if you're still under the threshold, the bundling doesn't really get you anywhere, right? But yeah. if you were, if your property taxes, let's say you're in Jersey, your property taxes are 15000 that's where you're starting from, right? Then all of a sudden, adding on those significant chunks get you over the, the threshold. And I don't advocate in any way, um, you know, creating expenses to, to get a deduction. But if it's something that you do on a regular basis, if you give $1,000 to Penn State every year and you know that you have surgery next year, why not do 5000 in one year? Um, and then, you know, it's the same of money, but you're getting a different benefit from it. So I absolutely think that um, bunching deductions makes a huge amount of sense. So just to be clear, though, for the folks at home, you are not advocating getting surgery just to get a deduction. <laughs> not at all. Not <laughs> Only at all. medically necessary surgery, folks. We don't need yeah, a deduction. Yeah, no, but I mean, but there are certain things, and we, we talk, I mean, Miranda has kids too, and, you know, it's the same kind of thing, like, what if your kid needs braces? What if, Like, there are things yeah. that are elective that you can plan around. If I know that, you know, Invisalign is $5,000, and maybe that's the year, again, that I do my $5,000 charitable deduction, because then it starts to make sense for me. Um, if it doesn't, again, if there's no reason to accelerate that expense, don't. But if you know you're going to be paying it anyway, start thinking about it. And I joke about surgery, but um, we were alluding to LASIK before the program yes, began. Yes, we were. Of something that is probably not always covered by insurance. and um, it is still a deductible medical expense. That, that, you can, that you can plan on. Yeah, absolutely. So, now, I don't mean, you there, have to exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross to deduct medical yes. expenses? Okay, so yes. it's not it's just not going to go right on your Schedule A. You still have to be, meet that threshold, which is hard to do. Well, but it depends because if you have to pay, especially for small businesses, if you're paying your own insurance um, or if you work for a company where your insurance, you don't really get a break. You're just paying it out of your, your check. And, um, you know, those those expenses count. Right. So if I'm paying a thousand dollars a month towards insurance for my family, that's deduct, you know, that, that adds to that pot, right? So all of a sudden it's not just your LASIK surgery, it's your LASIK plus your medications, plus your, um, you know, your insurance premiums. And then I think there's, that's when you start. And again, um, when Miranda was talking about her, uh, her, um, envelope full of deductions and sorry, receipts for deductions, that's where those begin to make sense because, you know, you go to the doctor's office once, you, the mileage or the parking for that is deductible. Maybe that doesn't make sense. But if you're going every week because you're checking on your braces or you're getting something adjusted or those yeah. kinds of things, that's when all of that begins to add up. So I don't I don't advocate keeping track of everything all of the time because you can be overwhelmed. But again, in those years that you know that there's something happening and December is a great time because now you know, right? Like you can look back and say, how many times I go to the doctor? How many, and, and if you're looking at a low number, just, you know, walk away. You don't need to put yourself through that kind of a math stress. But if there were those big events, that's when you can go back and, and start considering how that benefited or could benefit you come April. Yeah. 
And you know, we've also discussed you know overcoming the you know getting more than the twenty six thousand um, dollar deduction that you automatically get. But you know what's convenient too to remember is if you're not gonna if you if there's no way in the world you've got twenty six thousand dollars worth of expenses. Uh, deductible expenses, then you don't have to do as much paperwork as you may be doing. You don't need to keep all those receipts. If you ain't going to beat twenty six grand, there's no point in doing it because you get that automatically. And, and you know, yes. especially because I, I live in a high tax state, Florida. My property taxes are ten grand a year. But I used to live in Ohio. There were six hundred. You know, I mean, if if you can't get close to twenty six thousand dollars of itemized expenses, then stop keeping track of paperwork. You're you're good. <laughs> Yeah, I um I used to do a lot of volunteer work uh, for the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program um, through IRS, and I would tell my um, I would, well worked with a lot of seniors, and they would bring in trash bags full of every receipt ever, and um, it took a while even before the deductions were raised, like back even when they were lower, and it took a while, but we we finally ex- explained to them that until these numbers get really high, like you don't have to keep track of all of them, and that's why again December is a really good time to kind of look back and say. Which of these things that I do? Did I have a big surgery? No. Are my property taxes six hundred or ten thousand? You know, you make those kinds of early calls so that you're not doing what Miranda was saying earlier, where you're scrambling to find everything and give it to your accountant because they don't need all of that if you if you're pretty sure you're not going to hit those numbers. Yeah. Now, would you now would you say what I should keep the documentation anyway just in case you get audited, or would you just say? No. Doesn't even bother. Doesn't even matter. Oh no! Well, it depends. Are you saying documentation? Like, if it's documentation that you used, yeah. No, that I didn't but use because no, I, okay, no, don't because, even bother. Oh my gosh, no! And I know that there are probably some very uh, conservative tax professionals out there who are like, "But what if if you get audited and you didn't use those records because they weren't relevant, but then you decide that you needed to?" Most of the time, you can reconstruct that, right? That's true. Like if it was big enough to where you you should have included it. But I, I, I say no because I have so many – so I do I, – I cut my teeth in estates work before I moved on to um, doing different kinds of tax planning. And so many times people are so scared to throw things away because they're so terrified of audits. And there's no need to hang on to extra paper if you don't need to. And if it's something you could scan electronically, um, Miranda yeah. did mention you know, that. The IRS does accept those. They've accepted it since '97. Um, so you can you can do that if you're worried. But you know, my my dad's not scanning his stuff, right? He's just keeping it in a big pile, and I want him to throw that away. Yeah, he doesn't need to keep it for forever, especially if it's not documentation that was used. I have a different view if it's something that is supporting your return. But if it's just the just in case stuff, absolutely not. Cool. And if there's stuff that you really do need to keep, you need to scan it or you need to set up uh, systems where you're buying stuff from to email you the receipts because the ink will not last on those receipts. It'll oh, that is true. You, I've noticed yeah. that, as a matter of fact. You know, the other thing, too, is that you only need to keep your returns and the supporting documents theoretically for they can only go back three years on an audit. Is that right, Kelly? Uh, no. That's so, not right. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, so it's three years for like normal circumstances, but the funny thing about tax work, especially on the controversy side, is that a lot of times it's, you think it's normal or maybe it's not. Um, so they can go back six years um, in certain situations, such as underreporting income. Um, so, you know, business, especially businesses, you want to make sure that, I mean, I generally advise people to hold on to it a few more years longer than the three. The six to me feels like a good number. Um, But if you're a business owner, you know, there might be 
other non-tax reasons to hang hang on to things such as employment records and 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 um, reports of payment when you're paying independent contractors or, or employers, um, and then other things like which is coming into play right now with crypto. But um, any kind of asset that you might sell down the road or dispose of down the road, you want to keep that documentation sure. for as long as you have the asset, right? So if I get stock. 10 years ago and it was a proper certificate because you know for whatever reason you don't want to you don't want to destroy that documentation because a few years later you're going to want to know what you paid for it when you first bought it right and you know also if you're a drug dealer or if you're if you're if you're a fraudulent filing fraudulent returns they'll go back they can go back till dinosaurs walk the earth i mean absolutely Right. And if you don't file at all, there's no statute of limitations. Right. So uh, the year that you didn't file, you know, in 1996 is still up for grabs. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, here's another thing I think it was probably that could be very relevant to our listeners. Take losses on investments. And certainly, yeah. you know, with the market down 20 percent this year, you should have some. And if you own any crypto, you do have some. <laughs> And so you can exactly. take those losses. You can you can use them against any gains you have. You can also use them against three thousand dollars of ordinary income and any unused loss. You can carry forward to future years. Um, now, and one of the things, Kelly, I'm sure you were going to say this, so I'm going to beat you to it. With uh, with crypto, you can take a loss and buy it back the next second uh, because there, there's something called wash sale rules where you can't sell a, a, a stock for a loss. You have to wait 30 days where you can buy it back for obvious reasons. The IRS doesn't say, oh, I'm going to sell my Exxon then buy it back one second later, create a tax loss for myself, and I sell an Exxon. Uh, yeah, so they have this wash sale rules, what's called you got to wait 30 days. They haven't established that for crypto. So you could actually sell your crypto at a loss one second, buy it back the next second, still own the exact same amount of crypto and have and generate a loss for yourself. This is this is a loophole that will probably be closed, but if you can, if you can use it this year, use it. I I'm I'm about to do that myself. I've got some crypto losses. Yeah, no, I I know that the uh, the SEC is looking at the treatment of uh, of crypto and whether or not it should fall under the wash sale rules, but you're right that so far um, there's been nothing that has confirmed that it does. So people are taking advantage of it. But I was actually going to say something well, else, which is that um, with respect to particularly with crypto, but also with the losses that we're seeing in the market this year, um, you know, there's there's always a big clamor at the end of the year to harvest your losses, right? Like this idea that if you have gains, you should try to match the gains with losses so that you don't have to pay capital gains. Um, what I think people sometimes forget is that the opposite is also true. So that if you're going to have huge losses, you mentioned the $3,000 limit, right, that you could carry forward. So if you're going to have a $50,000 loss that you can do nothing with, and you've been holding on to that, you know, investment property down the street that you were eventually going to sell, but you didn't want to because the basis is really low. Maybe this is the year. Um, I do think that sometimes people forget because it's really hard to carry forward massive losses, um, I mean, it's not really hard to carry them, but it's really hard to take advantage of them because uh, you're going to have to bank on the fact that eventually you're going to keep making money, right? Yeah. Um, so, but but if you have massive, and, and I've seen this in crypto where people are reporting hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses that they cannot take advantage of in this year. Again, not everybody has the uh, the asset down the street, but there are people who do hold on to things for a really long yeah. time because sell it eventually, maybe this year is eventually. And again, that's where having um, a consult with a prof- uh, professional makes a lot of sense. I've seen that, especially in family situations where someone maybe inherited a family home, didn't know what to do with it, was going to sell it eventually. They're waiting for the market to right itself. Um, even if the market isn't completely 
righted um, where you are, it may still make sense to unload it so that you can you can net your gains against your losses. So I know every year people talk about harvesting losses, but I would also uh, put a little cheer in for when the markets aren't doing so great. Maybe it's also a good time to kind of equalize with gains. Also, if you're a good feeling, time, go ahead, Aaron. No, so if you're feeling a little giving, there's a Forbes wrote up something where you can uh, you can create a, a donor advised fund. Yes. So you could take a bunch of stocks and and donate them and use that as a course, you have to own the stocks for like a year or something like that. But uh, well, if you pay you ten dollars for a stock and now it's worth a thousand, you can donate that stock. You don't pay anything right. on the gain, and the charity gets the thousand, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's also a good thing to do for rich folks or, or for those who can afford to do something right. like that. Well, what right. about what about Roth conversions? Crummy market. Um, you know, when you convert from a regular IRA to a Roth, um, then you have to pay taxes uh, on that Roth. But now that amounts lower because hope. I mean, your balance is probably lower. So when it's a crummy market year, it may be a good year to do a Roth conversion. Well, you you were going to suggest that, weren't you, Miranda? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was gonna say that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you, if you have room in your retirement account contribution, you can make one. So if you haven't made your four hundred one k contribution, if you haven't maxed it out yet, and you still have room, you don't necessarily have to max it out. Not everybody's gonna be able to max out their retirement account. But if you're looking around and you've got a little extra money and you want to reduce your tax liability, make an extra contribution to your four hundred one k. And bonus, if you've got if, if your company matches, then you get extra money <laughs> for the future. So that's nice too. Yeah. What, what are the, I've got the limits here. Let's see. Uh, 19,500 for 401ks and 403Bs and 457s, uh, plus 6,500 more if you're, if you're 50 or older and 6,000 for traditional IRAs, 50 and older gets a, uh, another thousand. So it, it can be even more for certain small business owners too, depending uh, on the, Oh, really? The Explain. Oh yeah. Depending on the kind of program that you have. So again, really good to, to oh you know mean some, like a solo 401k yeah, yeah. like and there are other kinds of of, of uh, programs retirement accounts that you can have as a small business owner but depending you can actually sock away some some money um i will just chime in on the roth um i get into to uh, lively discussions with people about roths um i i am not the biggest proponent of roths all oh, of the interesting time. i want to hear this um but I will say, well, because I think so. So my daughter is going to put money in a Roth and that makes a lot of sense because she's working and she's in college and her her tax rate is really low. Right. So if she's if she's paying it now, that makes a lot of sense to uh, to put that in. Um, and then my dad has asked me about a Roth um, and he and I have had many discussions about timing and that sort of thing. But when you're no longer working, it's also a smart time to think about. I think, uh, think about Roths um, because again, lower tax bracket, right? And conversions as well. Hmm. Um, however, if you're at the peak of your earning power, <laughs> um, especially in a slower market, I think you should give some consideration to where the, that math actually works out. Because if you're paying at a top tax rate um, and, you're, and, and you're paying that up front, you know, you have to make sure that the, the long tail of that will work out. And it may. It, it may. So, right. I don't no, so the idea you're saying, if I let's say I'm in a 37% tax bracket, so I don't want to do a Roth now because I'm going to get a 37% deduction for what I put into my 401k. And then when I, I do the conversion after when I'm in a 15% bracket, so I don't pay as much on the conversion. Is that what you're saying? I mean, not necessarily always that order, but yeah, I think a lot of times the, the answer is always open a Roth. And I'm just suggesting that there's a difference between that 15% and that 37%. And if you're in a market that's not growing and you've, 
you've uh, diminished, because most people, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people, when they fund or roll over into a Roth, are going to use the the money from the account. They're not, they don't right, have an extra right, right. pile of money to pay that tax, right? So it's lowering the amount that you're socking away. Right. And then you're going to have to make that up before it makes sense. And sometimes that happens. And if you're really young and you have lots of time ahead, that makes sense. If you're in a low tax bracket, again, that makes sense. If you are at the top of your earning power, maybe, again, maybe some planning's in order. Maybe you're changing jobs and next year you're going to be in a lower bracket and it makes more sense to do it next year than this year. Are there calculators online to help you figure that out? (laughs) Well, yeah, they do have. Yeah, no, you can Are do there. You can find that online. I just think I also think talking to somebody who is yeah. not necessarily incentivized to get you to make that conversion is a smart thing to do. So I think talking with your CPA or your attorney um, about planning and maybe they say yes, but do it in 2023, not this year. I mean, there are lots of I, I just I just want to ca- do that caveat because um I, uh, when Ross, when Ross first came out and then of course, you know, there's been some things to make them even more attractive. There's always this really big push, Roth, Roth, Roth. And, um, I don't think Roth is for everyone all of the time. That's Thank you for only- saying that because I've always <laughs> thought that too. And every single pundit says, Oh, Roth, 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 you must have a Roth. And, and <laughs> I, I can't do Roth because I, my income's uh, too high to do them, but. Well, that's what, yeah, exactly. And not everybody's in that in that space, but maybe again, you want somebody who knows more than you do to look at it, right? Yeah. Like that's that's kind of the point. And and again, it shouldn't be someone with the financial incentive to get you to do it. Oh my and gosh, I think- you guys! I can't believe we're almost, we're out of time. We were out of time six minutes ago. And I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Kelly. I'm just shocked. I looked down at my watch. I was like, oh my god. And and actually, this isn't the most entertaining of topics, really. But I just blab 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 right over the time limit. Uh, so anyway, I, I apologize for cutting off. It, no, any, no, no. Anything else? I know, I see in your notes, Miranda, that you have a few more things to throw out here if you want to. Yeah, yeah. So just a couple of things real quick. Um, if you are looking for a tax deduction, and once again, like Kelly says, you want to make sure that you double check, make sure all of this is going to work for you. But one of the things I like to do, um, especially now that business, like now that the pandemic is, you know, people aren't staying home as much and I'm doing more business travel, um, I like to... I like to load my business travel expenses onto my card at the end of the year. You can do that. If you have a business, you can consider buying equipment, preparing next year's business travel. You can also defer your end of the year bonuses. Uh, if you're worried about it pushing you, like a if you've done really well and you have a good end of the year bonus, maybe you defer it till next year if that's an option. Uh, if you think the tax is going to work out. Uh, prepaid tuition, like I, my son's tuition not due until, you know, the first week of January next year, but I'm going to pay it tomorrow. So, um, you know, because, so yes, I agree. Yes. (laughs) And, and then if you have, if you have a flexible spending account, check to see if you need to be we were talking about making appointments, uh, you lose that money if you don't use it. Uh, there are some plans that will let you roll a portion of it over, but not all of it. Um, there are plans that give you an extended deadline, but the bottom line is, is flexible, uh, FSA dollars, flexible spending account dollars are use it or lose it. So make sure that you use it. And then finally, uh, if you get past December 31st and you're like, I just want a couple more tax deductions, you can make, a traditional IRA, a tax deductible traditional IRA and health savings account contributions up until tax day. So, and you just need to make sure you count them as previous year contributions. One of the things that um, we'll do, like my accountant will do with me is, you know, I, I put, I put a, you know, I put aside what I need to in my, um, 
my SEP IRA, but uh, we'll look at it once we get past the year and we're getting closer to tax time. He'll be like, hey, like you still have contribution room in your SEP IRA. You can still make a contribution. And then we'll do that and I'll get a little extra tax deduction. So just, yeah. So just a few things to just like pound through here at the end. And like I said, at one of our last, I'll go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. I just want to say, I will um, echo about the HSA because I think sometimes those get forgotten about. And the nice thing about the HSA, um, Miranda mentioned that the FSA, you lose it, but the HSA just rolls over forever and forever. Um, So if you don't use it, it just keeps growing um, at tax deferred, right? So um, with those expenses we were talking about before, if you aren't going to be able to deduct them, like surgery and that kind of thing, you can also plan in conjunction with your HSA and then what you don't use you can keep saving. It's a really great savings vehicle um, too. So if there is extra room that you aren't using, um, absolutely, if you have the means to put that in, I'm a big proponent of funding HSAs. Makes sense. Okay, guys, I, I guess we are out of time. And I'm, I'm sorry we ran over time. I wasn't paying attention because I was so fascinated with this topic. Um, but, you know, speaking of topics, we're never out of any topic, including this one. We want you to dig a little deeper. That's why we have links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is MirandaMarquette.com, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T, MirandaMarquette.com. And, of course, you want to visit Kelly at her website. That is TaxGirl.com. That sounds a little sexist to me. Shouldn't it be MizTax.com? Anyway, TaxGirl.com for Kelly. That's a whole other issue. Okay. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Okay, if you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you like what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. Takes you two seconds. Really helps us, though. So if you like it, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Aaron Freeman. And that's Kelly over there. <laughs> Kelly, I forgot to tell you, you're supposed to say her name at the end. <laughs> My fault. I'm Kelly Phillips-Herb. <laughs> that's what we like to hear. Okay, guys, thanks for hanging out with us, and we're going to see you right here next time.